Blog Talk Radio. Greetings. Thank you for joining me on this episode entitled America's Shame, Invisible Sentencing of Nonviolent First-Time Offenders. I decided to do this show today after concluding a wonderful conference that was hosted by George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and the topics were as it pertains to public health and how mass incarceration is as equivalent to that conversation as anything else. During the course of that dialogue, I had a wonderful opportunity of engaging in social uh, media communications with Teresa Hodge, who is the president and CEO and founder of Mission Launch, and her daughter happened to have been one of the panelists in the conference that was hosted by the Black Public Health Students Leadership members in or at or in attendance, if you will, at George Washington University. And throughout the course of the conference today, I was moved by seeing such young people on fire for bringing about change. And it just allowed for me to reflect on what they were doing versus what many of us are doing and in comparison to what needs to be done. And during the course of that conference, one word just continued to resonate in my mind and was the invisible sentences because every time we address a different subject matter, or shall I rephrase that and say every time a different subject matter was addressed, it brought me back through thought to the same premise, invisible sentence. Invisible sentence. What exactly do you mean by invisible sentence, Sherry? This is what I mean. An individual in America could be driving his or her vehicle, notwithstanding race for a moment, through any town throughout this country. And in the course of that individual doing that, he or she could be pulled over by a member of law enforcement. That member of law enforcement can make the ultimate decision to subject that individual to arrest for traffic violation, possession of marijuana less than an ounce, allegations of the DUI, or driving less safe, or maybe there's an outstanding warrant for that person for whatever the reason. And in the course of that transaction, there may be someone else across town who may be in his or her home, and that individual may engage in battery or accusations of domestic dispute. And that individual, too, could be subject to arrest. And then you have students enrolled in high school and maybe in 12th grade and have just turned 17 years of age in most jurisdictions and get into a fight with someone at school. And no one's injured. And it involves no weapons. And that person is arrested under the criminal offense of battery. And all three of these individuals now have arrest records. And for one, their charges may be dismissed. And the other, they may be given a diversion program. And the last may have been found guilty and culpable of his or her actions. And as a result, that individual may be placed on probation. The one common factor that the three of these individuals who were subject to arrest have is the arrest record. That is what 70 million Americans have, a criminal arrest record, because they were arrested. So when 
these individuals apply for employment and they are asked, have you been arrested? They have to answer yes. And to all the lies and the sound bites about this bogus program of ban the box, you can ban whatever you want initially, but ultimately they're going to find out that you've been arrested. And unlike many of us who are self-employed, and for most of us, where our backgrounds don't matter because we're not relying on other people to give us gainful employment or housing or health care or the opportunity to excel, for those three individuals, their lives are adversely affected right then and there. You see, contrary to all these lies, the collateral consequences are not predicated upon or are not a result of the quote-unquote conviction. The argument that I've been trying to stress or the conversation or the dialogue or the debate that I've been trying to stir is when does the collateral consequences attach? And the most and the gross misrepresentation is that they attach at the time of conviction. No, it attaches at the time of arrest. Because what all three of those individuals have in common is fingerprints and a mugshot. That becomes the equivalent of the background check. And when that is found and located in the background check, those three individuals, collateral consequences, the hymns, health, housing, employment, education, maintenance, and support will forever be adversely affected. America's shame. America's shame that I can incur $1 million in debt and file bankruptcy. And within two years or less, I can purchase a home, a new car, enter into contract for business, attain and receive loans and credit cards. America's shame is that that same 17-year-old who had an altercation at school, that same individual who was pulled over for a traffic violation, and the same individual that was accused of domestic violence, must report that arrest to the day that he or she dies. America's shame that while many governors and even our own president is trying to move to a quote-unquote ban-the-box policy, the ban-the-box will not prohibit what the box will ultimately reveal anyway. Because, you see, most state and federal agencies are now doing pre-employment screening. So even before being afforded an opportunity to apply for work, you have to already tell them through pre-screening that you've been subject to arrest or incarceration because they're pulling credit reports and they're doing the background checks anyway. Many of them are asking you to submit the fingerprints as part of the quote-unquote pre-screening. In the state of Georgia, while governor soundbite-wise, appears to be very proactive in his position concerning justice reform. I would only wish that many of the people that are part of his party, and I say that across the lines, Democrat and Republican, private sector and public sector, were as equally on board with his agenda. Because even here in the state of Georgia, are required for the nursing board, for the state bar of Georgia, for the medical board, for the chiropractic board, cosmetology, and a host of the other professional licensing boards to disclose even where you have a restriction or an expungement or court order. And so, who cares about ban the box with all due respect? 
when the very state agencies that you oversee are doing the opposite of what you appear verbally to be promoting. And where you have states with laws that are constitutionally void for vagueness, where there is arbitrary and discriminatory enforcement of law, both through police and law enforcement, through the prosecutorial misconducts and the biases of abuse of prejudicial discretion, and where judges bring their own biases and prejudices to the courtroom and they exercise that in their sentencing, we have actually in this country sentenced first-time offenders to life. Yes, you may have on paper that they have five years probation, 12 months probation, diversion program, drug treatment, and the anger management. But the ultimate collateral consequences that they face and must endure carries them, remains with them for the rest of their life. America's shame. The invisible sentence is a life sentence. It is the equivalent of a pine box sentence. That ultimately means death. Because you see, when you can't attain housing, health care, employment, education under the Gainful Employment Act, where colleges and universities are capable, able, and will discern whether or not during the application process you should be admitted because they look to whether or not you will be entitled and or capable of gainful employment upon graduating. And so they make the decision beforehand, never giving you an opportunity to even be admitted or accepted before they say, under the Gainful Employment Act, we don't believe that even when you graduate, we're going to be able, you're going to be able to secure employment. And therefore, we need not and cannot provide you with financial aid, student loans, because you don't want the person to fall into debt, knowing that he or she would not be in a position to pay. That's a federal guideline that colleges and universities, both private and public sector, must honor. With colleges and universities around the country asking individuals to acknowledge his or her culpability and or involvement in any criminal act, with them asking for individuals to provide copies of their photos, and with many of them using various resources, including the Internet, to circumvent standard criminal background checks, with the society that says that it's a First Amendment right to disclose through the newspaper whether a person has been arrested, and even where there have been jurisdictions like Georgia who say you no longer have to or are able to show the mugshot, who cares? If you can simply go to a search engine and type the person's name in and find out that they've been arrested anyway. You are circumventing the law, and they know that that loophole, if you will, is available. Why is it newsworthy that a person has been arrested? that this 17-year-old had a cat fight at school, that this individual was pulled over for a traffic violation, driving less safe, that there's a domestic dispute at home. Why are those three circumstances newsworthy? Newsworthy to me would be an individual accused of being a serial rapist. Why? Because by allowing that person's mugshot to be made available to the public, there may be other victims to come forward. The seven deadly sins 
Somebody who may be engaged in armed robbery may be culpable in another robbery. Somebody engaged in rape and molestation may be culpable in other instances. Somebody who's murdered somebody, this may or may not be their first murder. The seven deadly sins, that's newsworthy. That would warrant an individual having to report an arrest publicly. But to arbitrarily allow for the media to be able to assert under First Amendment protection that every individual who's been the subject of arrest should be found and made available in a search engine and be made available to the public without requiring the same media outlet to report the end findings and to follow that particular case. So that 17-year-old just has a murder, excuse me, a mugshot available online. Or where that's visible with the question mark, they still have the arrest available, as does that father for domestic violence, as does that person for driving less safe. How safe is America because of those misdemeanor offenses being reported? America's shame, the life sentences that are typically and barely imposed on nonviolent first-time offenders in America that makes them part of the privatization of the prison industrial complex because what they cannot and when they're not able to be sustained under those hymns, they will become more likely to offend. So that becomes the making of the American criminal, the new Netflix program, as it were, because we're creating these criminals in what we call a justice system that demonstrates no just or fairness at all. America's shame. And every attorney should be required to, pro bono, like myself, do something about it. America's shame. America's shame, the invisible life sentences of nonviolent first-time offenders. Thank you for joining me today, and thank you, George Washington University and Mission Launch, for a wonderful program today, and Sharon Levine and all of you wonderful speakers today fired me.